so many different alchemical texts tell us the philosopher's stone is not separate from you. It's within you. Within you. Within you. Welcome to the Medicine Path Podcast. I'm your host, Brian James. On this episode, I welcome Marlena Seven-Bremner on to talk about her book, Hermetic Philosophy and Creative Alchemy. Marlena is a self-taught oil painter, writer, and teacher who has spent more than 20 years exploring esoteric and spiritual traditions, including hermeticism, alchemy, surrealism, symbolism, tarot, psychology, magic, astrology, shamanism, and mythology. She developed her career as an artist in the Pacific Northwest and now spends her time painting and writing in the New Mexico desert. You can view Marlena's paintings and find out more about her work at marlena7bremner.com. Before we get to our conversation, I just want to take a moment and remind you that this podcast is made possible only through the support of my Patreon members and YouTube subscribers. In the past six months, less than 1% of listeners have made a contribution to the ongoing production of this podcast. Yes, you heard that correctly. Less than 1%. Frankly, those are pretty terrible numbers. And if this wasn't such a labor of love for me, it wouldn't make much sense to continue putting as many hours into its creation as I do. So, a heartfelt thank you to those of you who are members of the Medicine Path Patreon community and School of Soul Studies, and those of you who have subscribed to the YouTube channel. I really appreciate your support. And if you appreciate this podcast and are able to make a contribution, you can find links in the description below to the Patreon site and YouTube channel, as well as a PayPal link for one-time donations. If you can't afford to make a financial contribution, please Take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast on whatever platform you're using, and consider sharing this or past episodes with a friend or your social media network. Every little bit helps. If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can find out more about my coaching and mentoring offerings at medicinepath.me. Now, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Marlena Seven-Bremner on The Medicine Path. Marlena Seven-Bremner. Marlena, could you tell us where you are right now, where you're calling in from? I am in the deserts of northern New Mexico on a very rural property, um, just on the edge of a bunch of really beautiful BLM land. It's like about an hour north of Santa Fe. Hmm. I know uh, I read in your bio that you were living in the Pacific Northwest, kind of my neck of the woods. Uh, mm -hmm. why did you move to the desert from this beautiful green lush place 
Yeah. Well, I was up there for 12 and a half years and really, really loved it up there and really connected with the land and um, with the place that I was at in Olympia and the community there. But after 12 years, I started to feel really saturated in so many ways, you know, like physically, just the dampness of the environment um, felt like it was taking its toll. And then my life felt really saturated, like everything was just so busy and hectic. And I just, I needed some space and a dry climate to kind of shift my own energy and also to focus on completing the book, um, which actually turned into two books, but Mm. I kind of knew I needed to get out of that hustle and bustle life um, in order to focus on it. So that was a big motivating factor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can understand that, you know, needing to go to a drier climate to like actually dry out or something yeah. kind of like alchemical about that, which is going to be the topic of our conversation. And so listening mm-hmm. to the, to your body and your intuition and um, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. It can be pretty like overly moist here in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I do miss it sometimes. It's such a beautiful place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're here to talk about the book that came out last year, Hermetic Philosophy and Creative Alchemy. Um, and I think maybe by way of introduction, would you be able to give us a, a kind of brief summary of the path that led you to the Hermetic and Creative Arts? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was interested in um, energy and consciousness from a pretty young age. And so that kind of fueled my um, my seeking in terms of a spiritual path. And I explored a lot of different traditions and ended up studying energy medicine and found a teacher, um, in Olympia teaching polarity therapy. And so she became my mentor over the years. And I went through an accredited program and, um, learned all about polarity therapy and practiced and, um, Essentially, that was my introduction to hermetic principles and, you know, these ideas of um, the cosmos and celestial spheres relating to different parts of the body and the elements having their place in the body and relationships between them. And I learned about the caduceus and the central energy channel of the body and how that forms the chakras. And so a lot of polarity therapy is really based in hermetic teachings. It's also largely based in Ayurveda and Western osteopathic techniques. Um, Mm. But that was really my first introduction. And it was also my first introduction to alchemy. And I saw my first alchemical engraving during that period when I was studying and learning. And it just touched something really deep within me, um, almost like a memory or something. And I just, I had to know what it meant. I had to know where it came from. And um that sort of began my quest to understand what alchemy was and everything kind of unfolded from there. And it was many years in the making um, to complete the book, but lots of, lots of study and, you know, writing different little pieces that all kind of coalesced together into the book eventually. Hmm. Um, So when you got into the polarity therapy and all that, had you already been painting at that time? This was sort of at the same time that I, you know, I'd been really artistic as a child and into my teen years, but at a certain point decided that I wasn't any good. 
So during the time that I was studying polarity therapy, I had also decided to get back into artwork and into creativity and um, was teaching myself how to oil paint. So these things were kind of developing together. And some of my first paintings were really exploring what I was learning about esoteric anatomy and about energy and wanting to give that visual representation. Um, But also, you know, and I've talked about this on other podcasts and stuff. I, I went through a very difficult period while I was studying polarity therapy, um, a real dark night of the soul. And this was all happening at the same time. My introduction to alchemy, studying Carl Jung, um, learning about polarity therapy, and at the same time going through this uh, very dark time. And alchemy sort of gave me the way to um, to understand what was going on and to begin integrating what was going on because what I was dealing with was sort of um, the first confrontation that I'd had in my life with a lot of these like very repressed shadow aspects. And, you know, it was a scary confrontation and alchemy was just the language and the worldview that I needed to help um, put it all in perspective and begin transmuting it through the creative process. Hmm. Well, I think you're born in 83, right? So mm-hmm. this uh, this can't have been that long ago. And I mean, you're such an accomplished painter that it's hard for me to believe that um, you picked it up and have been self-taught and have developed to such a degree in, how, I mean, how long has it been? A decade or so? Um, probably about 15 years since all of that was going on. And since I, you know, first picked up the brushes again and, uh, started to learn how to oil paint. That's amazing. So, I mean, I I don't believe that any of us are really self-taught. I'm autodidactic by nature too, being part of Mm -hmm. like my anti-authoritarian and non-conforming personality type. Uh, but and I used to say that I'm kind of self-taught in a lot of things, but really yeah. I was learning from books and from maybe teachers who had passed, uh, just not kind of directly with a teacher in my in my physical presence. Mm-hmm. So were you learning from books and studying painters and things like that? Not really. Not really. I think I looked at like a couple YouTube videos just about the basics of like, you know, how to use mineral spirits and what are mediums and, you know things like technical that. Technical aspects. Yeah, just the very basic technical aspects. Um, but I intentionally didn't want to be too influenced. So I stayed away from looking at art books and, mm. you know, looking at art through history and stuff like that. I really just wanted to um, explore my own creative vision. And of course, you know, we're always influenced. We can't help that. And I definitely had influences, but I remember very specifically that I was trying not to look at it at too much, you know, although I was looking at a lot of alchemical art. So there's that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of that is uh, engravings, right? So you're not getting um, the richness of the oil painting. And so a lot of that had to come from, well, from you or something within you uh, that wanted to be expressed in this particular way. And uh yeah. Mine just kind of has to learn the technical aspects and the hands got to learn some of the mechanics of it, but obviously mm-hmm. something is urging to come through you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. 
That's amazing. Um, kind of gobsmacked, you know, the book opens up with a series of your alchemically influenced paintings. And uh, I was just struck by the amount of detail and uh, richness of color and the symbolic language that you've developed. It's a, it, uh, you can tell that it's influenced by some of the alchemical images, but it does seem to be something also personal to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that's um, that's something that I emphasize, especially in the second book, is you know the importance of if we're doing this kind of alchemical creative work, the importance of the personal aspect of it, you know, and you know working with symbols and correspondence. Um, being able to recognize our own personal relationship to those symbols and our own making our own meaning from them rather than solely relying on what we read in books and what other people tell us. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, okay. This is the first time in the podcast that I've talked about hermeticism and alchemy. And it's something I've been exploring for just a few years. Mm-hmm. And I think my way in, was through my wife, who's a practicing astrologer, mm-hmm. uh, and also the work of Carl Jung. As you know, Carl Jung studied alchemy for, I don't know, probably over 30 years and uh, mm-hmm. did some writing about it. And uh, that's what got me intrigued. And so I'm kind of a, a neophyte, I think, when it comes to hermeticism and alchemy. And they're terms that we hear quite a lot, but. Uh, I wonder maybe, would it be possible for you to give us a kind of overview of hermeticism? Because it's such a big term. It's like an umbrella term used for a lot of different things. But one of the things I like Mm -hmm. about your book is how you give us the image of a tree. And the tree has a a few different branches that are all related. Um, So I'd love for you to kind of lay out the image of that tree. But let's start perhaps with the roots, where we get the name hermetic or hermetism or hermeticism from this figure of Hermes Trismegistus. Could we maybe start with him? You just tell us a little bit about this, uh, I don't know, semi-mythical, possibly not personage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of us are familiar with Hermes, the Greek trickster um, and inventor of the lyre. And um, Hermes Trismegistus, though, means Hermes thrice greatest. And this was a syncretic form combining the Greek Hermes with the ancient Egyptian deity Thoth. And the worship of Thoth goes back, I think, about 6,000 years. So it's a very ancient deity. And he was said to be the god of wisdom and um, magic and mathematics and astronomy and astrology and all these sacred arts. And Thoth is also sort of equivalent to the divine mind or the logos. So whether or not he ever lived as a um, a living being or if he's just a myth or a god, um, I don't think that's entirely relevant because I think Thoth, Hermes Trismegistus, represents an aspect of the universal mind. And it's that aspect that we connect with and that helps us to communicate with the divine and to um, link disparate parts of ourselves, you know, link the conscious and the unconscious within ourselves. So, yeah, that's Hermes Trismegistus. And um, he's the eponymous founder of the Hermetic tradition. 
And so a lot of the hermetic texts are often um, attributed to him or there's, you know, words of praise for Hermes. Um, but a lot of these texts are pseudonymously written, you know, by philosophers and, and such, but, you know, said to be written by Hermes. Mm -hmm. um, I think interesting to just note, I like how you put that, that uh, Hermes as a figure is kind of a functionary helps us to link. Uh, this is very much an element of the Greek Hermes. He was friend of all the mm -hmm. gods. And if we think about the gods as a projection of the inner figures within us, Hermes is like the, the connector, the intermediary. He's, uh, you know, when he was taken up by the Romans, he was uh, melded with the god Mercury, who had the little boots with wings on them. Um, so I can imagine mm -hmm. Hermes kind of flitting about, going from place to place, whispering in people's ears, picking up messages, passing them back and forth. Um, yeah. He's also considered a psychopomp, so the guide of souls. Exactly. In and out of the underworld. And we can think about that as into the unconscious. Um, so Hermes Trismegistus was really a representative of this archetypal aspect or uh, facility. Yes, yes, that's how I see it. You know, and people will debate whether or not he lived as a person and when that was, if it was concurrent with Moses or right. if he was the same being as Moses and that sort of thing. But I think the the essence of Hermes is that aspect of um, connecting us with the divine mind and helping to facilitate communication between various parts of ourselves and between ourselves and various parts of the cosmos and um, bringing things together reconciling mm -hmm. now okay so the texts that we call hermetic are often mm -hmm. attributed to this figure um what defines a hermetic text uh because as you point out in the book there are these three main branches of astrology mm -hmm. magic and alchemy um and those were developed in different periods and different places but we kind of categorize them all as hermetic texts. So what's the what's the binding agent there? Well, the binding agent is really Hermes. And so a lot of those texts will be written in praise of Hermes, like I said before, or attributed to Hermes. But um, hermeticism, if we think of the term hermeticism, that sort of is the umbrella term that includes things like alchemy, magic, astrology, and even such things as like Kabbalah and theosophy and Rosicrucianism. Those are all kind of within this hermeticism umbrella. Um, but when we talk about hermetism, that's a little more specific. And mm -hmm. that refers to these philosophical, theological, and mystical texts that were written um, in late antiquity. Um, and these are more of a mystical nature. So there's not so much alchemy or really there's not really any alchemy in them or astrology or very little astrology. And there's a few references to magic, but it's not technical. So the difference between those kind of um, alchemical and magical hermetic texts is that technicality. So um, Texts that are specifically about magic or alchemy or hermetic medicine, these things are much more technical than 
the traditional Hermetica, uh, which are really more of a mystical, um, you know, they're treatises that are initiatic by nature when you read them, but they're also very theological. And so they talk about the relationship between humanity and God or the divine. And it's less about these kind of technical arts of alchemy and astrology. Mm. Right. So the, these texts maybe lay out the cosmology, the mm-hmm. philosophy, like the famous dictum, as above, so below, as below, so above, um, kind of lay the the foundation, perhaps, or the stage for then the hermetic arts that exactly. uh, were developed as ways to actualize the philosophy. Is that fair exactly. to say? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like magic and alchemy, these are, and astrology, these are arts that we can use to, um, like you said, actualize what is laid out in these early hermetic texts about like ascending through the cosmological framework, you know, and gaining more creative agency over our lives and overcoming the powers of fate and these things. Um, The use of magic and alchemy and astrology are all ways that help us to do that. Mm-hmm. Could you, for people listening, could you give us a kind of the uh, the elevator rundown of the cosmology? Because I think it's just such a great model uh, for the the practice. The you know the idea of the planets and ascending through the planets. Could you just lay that out for us? Yeah. Well, in the Hermetic worldview. Everything is emanating from a unified source. And this is also a very Neoplatonic idea. Everything's emanating from a unified divine source. And this source is the good, it's light and it's life. And everything sort of emanates outward from that. And um, from this source, the cosmos is created. And from the cosmos, everything of matter and of nature is created, including these seven spheres which are visualized as sort of nested spheres um, moving outward from the earth. And each of the seven traditional planets, the planets that are visible to the naked eye and the sun and the moon, um, these rule these different spheres. And these are said to be the um, fate spheres. So they rule over fate. And each planetary sphere has a different diamond or a set of diamonds that sort of... um, propel humanity to act out their fate, you know, and they work upon us for good and for bad. And we can think of these just as energies that we encounter. And the way I understand it is that these spheres are working on us unconsciously, whether we're aware of it or not. And the daimons are acting on us unconsciously. And the more consciousness we can bring to these uh, planetary energies, which are like archetypal energies of the human being, um, the more um, agency we have over our own fate and the more creative we can become um, through ascending through these fate spheres or de-energizing them and taking away their, their power over us by becoming more conscious and understanding how they're working through us. Um, and so does it follow the old platonic idea? I think it's um, from Plato that the soul, uh, when it incarnates, it passes through the spheres and picks up uh, different qualities 
from the planetary energies and that's what makes up our kind of character and personality in this life yes exactly yeah as the human being descends into embodied form it passes through those seven spheres and acquires energies from each of those spheres and exactly like you said these kind of define our our set of qualities and characteristics and we can see that in the natal chart in astrology and where the mm -hmm. planets are placed at the exact time and place of our birth um, where they fall in the zodiac how they aspect with each other and that can be a way of kind of understanding our fate but not falling into astral determinism where we say, okay, this is just the way that I am, but this is what I came here with. And this is what I have to transmute and um, transform into something new. Right. So that's the kind of hermetic move is going, okay, mm -hmm. these are the cards I was dealt. Uh, mm -hmm. Some people may just accept that, accept their limitations and, and also their gifts as being kind of fixed, but the hermetic, personality is going to go well i think there's something i can i can do about this i can have some influence over the yeah. course of my life if i apply myself to uh magic alchemy astrology uh, i would say yoga too is a way to do that um mm -hmm. oh definitely yeah yeah so that's interesting what is it that uh wakes that up in someone does does it have to be um a kind of initiation um is it something that just comes from within like a kind of uh initiation by the psyche that just like you know you saw that image that uh, alchemical image and something in you just kind of like sat upright and said mm, something here for me right yeah yeah i don't know i think Maybe it's different for different people, but I think that's the case for a lot of folks is like there's just a moment where there's a calling or they see something and there's a curiosity that's awoken and a desire to understand. Or maybe some people come to it from um, trials and tribulations, you know, and needing to find answers. Um, but I think there's so, so much that we can benefit from in the hermetic tradition that that's part of what inspired me to share this and to put it into a book form. And um, because when I would talk to people about it, there was so much curiosity about the subject and still like, you know, I'll tell people what I do and what I'm interested in and they'll say, Oh, hermeticism. Yeah. I've been wanting to learn about that or, Oh, I'm just getting into that and really curious. And yeah. So I'm not sure exactly what it is for everybody, but I think um, it is sort of just an inward calling. Hmm. Yeah, well, like you, I mean, I was always kind of interested in um, magic, and I read fantasy books when I was a kid, and I had very vivid dreams, and, um, you know, I was creative. I, I mostly drew cartoons, nothing serious. Uh, but then it was like, you know, the midlife crisis that actually uh, kind of reawakened me to that whole realm, and also kind of pushed me into learning more and uh, applying some practices. Like there was something in me that knew that there was, there was more possible for my life. Mm -hmm. And I had just gotten to a point where I was kind of fed up with how things had been going, playing a more passive role in the direction of my life. And so it was like that kind of dark night of the soul that you talked about in me that uh, inspired me to 
start, you know, actively walking what I call my medicine path, you know, which is, mm-hmm. um, yeah, involved uh, yoga practice and study and uh, plant medicines and psychotherapy and all those kind of things. So, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe it's both, right? Like a kind of natural inclination. And then that gets awakened in us in times of crisis where it's like, okay, stop messing around. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like that for me, you know, seeing that image and something being awoken, but at the same time, very, you know, close to that same time when I saw that image was that dark night of the soul. And like, there was a need, you know, I needed something to help me get through that. And all of the other tools that I had at the time, because, you know, I'd started a yoga practice when I was 19 and, um, all the energy medicine and meditation and long walks in nature, those sorts of things, they all actually stopped working for me during this time, which was part of why it was so challenging because I had all these methods for self-regulating, but the nature of what I was going through was such that those same things would now trigger anxiety and panic. So I needed something else and alchemy was that something else. And because I was learning about it while I was exploring the creative process and, you know, allowing my unconscious to kind of express itself, those two things became fused. And I started to really see how connected um, alchemy and creativity are. And so, yeah, it was, it was both. It was that inner calling and um, curiosity, but just that, that deep need as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. Now I'm going to assume that um, by practicing alchemy, you didn't literally set up a, an alchemist kitchen and start trying to turn lead into gold or, <laughs> right. Can you speak about alchemy and practice as, uh, as it's come to you, as it's been expressed through your uh, creative work? Yeah. I mean, I was definitely very intrigued by physical laboratory alchemy. And um, over the years, really wanted to learn about it. And I thought that I wanted to have my own laboratory. But what I had was my studio. And I was basically undergoing these different alchemical meditations. And, you know, being able to um, correlate things that I was experiencing on a mental, uh, physical, and emotional level with these different alchemical processes and then explore those through uh, my creative expression, both in painting, but also with music and writing and poetry. Um, So it's a little bit like immersing yourself in the alchemical world, you know, reading these alchemical texts. um, They start to work on you at an unconscious level. They start to infuse into your own unconscious, these symbols and ideas and processes. And um, that's what was happening to me. And then I would let these things kind of emerge spontaneously uh, onto the canvas or onto the page. And then they would communicate back to me even more um, on the symbolic level. And from there, I would say, oh, that's an interesting symbol. I wonder what that means. And, you know, go on sort of an exploration of study of symbols. And just learning so much along the way about myself and about alchemy and going deeper with it. Um, And, you know, eventually I did come into contact with practicing alchemists with laboratories and I got to observe Mm. um, 
their laboratories and processes going on on a physical level. And, you know, it was really helpful for me to be able to visualize some of these processes like distillation and fermentation and um, separation, coagulation, just, just to be able to understand them and how they work in the laboratory. But it doesn't take away from the profound nature of these things happening on a spiritual level and in the creative process as well. And it just deepened my understanding of it to observe that. And also um, helped me to clarify that that's really not what I want to do. Is I don't really need to have a physical laboratory um, because I have so much, you know, going on already with the creative work that that's completely satisfying to me. And also I have observed that sometimes the allure of physical alchemy can draw people away from the, um, the spiritual nature of it. And it's mm -hmm. kind of a slippery slope, the power and um, mysterious nature of, you know, being an alchemist and such. I think it can um, sometimes detract from the deeper levels of the work. And I'm not saying that's always the case, but that's just an observation. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, the search for fool's gold and, um, it's, it's a fine yeah. line. Yeah. 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 I kind of see a parallel there with, uh, like religious fundamentalism. Uh, the thing that can get in the way, uh, is literalism, um, literalizing, uh, can take you away from the metaphoric meaning of religious or mythological stories like mm -hmm. that thing that that impulse in people to want to find the historical hermes trees magistus and nail yeah. down the time where he was active and and all of that it's like well i mean if you discover that you'll never really know and maybe the search for that is actually keeping you from doing the inner work that he was probably yeah. pointing to yeah 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 or the desire to, you know, create the philosopher's stone or discover the philosopher's stone in a physical mm. form. Um, when so many different alchemical texts tell us, like, the philosopher's stone is not separate from you. It's within you, you know. And yet there's still this drive to, like, create the philosopher's stone when it's something that is much more profound than a physical substance. And maybe there is a physical counterpart to it, but it doesn't really matter if you find what it actually is within yourself well yeah it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah <laughs> not matter quit you're looking in the wrong place um, <laughs> i was talking to a religious scholar uh, david tasty and he's written books about uh, the the problems of literalism in religion. Uh, he's he's a Jungian as well. Um, and he was originally going to call one of his books, uh, It's a Metaphor, Stupid. <laughs> like, that was really the message he wanted to get across. But then, you know, he wrote this like 500-page tome uh, with lots of psychological understanding. And, you know, but uh -huh. I love that. Like, if it could just, that's the poster version. Is like, look. Um yeah. Well, I think there's something about the alchemical, like the literal alchemy, the the kind of chemistry of it too. If we can see it uh, metaphorically or with symbolic eyes, um, there's something actually interesting about 
probably the physical processes that you're uh, that you're catalyzing, that you're participating in, that you're observing, um, that would help with a psychic integration of the internal process. Like just like your painting is is helping you uh, to do that integration. Um, Mm -hmm. I can imagine, you know, if you did maintain kind of both sets of eyes, the literal and the metaphoric, that doing uh, some kind of alchemical process, fermentation, whatever it is, uh, would help with the internal process in some way. Like in that way, it could be very useful. Like you're doing something with your hands in the material realm uh, Mm -hmm. that has this uh, correlation with the internal process. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the key right there is to bring it into the physical world in some way, whether or not that's in a, in a vessel in a flask or crucible or creatively, you know, with, with art or music or dance or sculpture or writing or speaking or whatever it is that we can do creatively. And there's so many different things that we can do. It doesn't have to be art at all. Um, but some way to bring it into the physical world, even if it's just through the body, like with yoga or meditation and understanding these processes unfolding in the body, but to, to really integrate uh, what you're learning through alchemy and through these processes, I think having something in the physical domain is important. And I think that's Mm -hmm. key. Yeah. Yeah. I remember this thing that Jung said about, uh, doing something tangible and physical he said something like the hands can solve problems that the mind cannot Um, so if we just read books and learn the theories and um, think about things uh, that's only like maybe a first step and then the next step is to to do something to help that process along it's hard to explain yeah. how that works or why that works, but I feel it to be true. There's there's something about it. And like when I do my yoga practice, also having um, a set of inner images that uh, are coming up or I'm working with more actively seem to bring mm-hmm. the mind and heart and instincts all together in a way and, and like a kind of true integration of all the uh, different faculties in me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you agree. Okay, there's something to it. Yeah. <laughs> I find well, the same thing because I yeah, I still practice yoga and you know, I spend a lot of time studying um and reading and while I'm in a yoga practice and just breathing and moving the body, a lot of the things that I've been learning and studying will come up in different ways and especially when I get to the end of a session and I'm in Shavasana laying down and sort of just resting. Um, I feel like at that point, everything sort of the yoga session itself and everything that I've been learning and studying recently kind of gets integrated in this way. So yeah, I think a physical practice is great for that. And in general, and, you know, following the hermetic path, I think, or the magician's path, I think balancing all of the elements is a really important uh, practice, you know? And so with the body, we're thinking about the earth element and bringing things to the physical level. 
Because if we're just reading and studying, then we're getting that air element, the mental level, but we're not bringing it into the body. So yeah, I think that's one way to think yeah. about it. Too. Well, in, in my um, private consulting practice, I work with a lot of men and the men, I don't know if I can say this generally about men, but I think it's kind of true, but especially the men who come to me are uh, very much magician types. And the pitfall of the magician type is we can get, it's too much air. Like you said, it's too much intellect. And, um, you know, part of it is that magicians urge to like understand and to uh, see what's working underneath and all of that. Uh, but if it stays in the realm of the intellect alone, there's no transformation. Yeah. So we have to find a way to, yeah, I like that way of thinking too, is just incorporating all the elements. I mean, it's so kind of natural when you view it that way. It's like, well, of course the elements have to be in balance and we can see what yeah. happens in the world when the elements are out of balance. And so why wouldn't that same uh, theory apply to us too? Yeah. As within, so yeah. without, right? And then yeah. people tend to get it when you bring it down to kind of simple, natural language, right? Yeah, to the elemental level, the basics. Elemental, exactly. Yeah. There's yeah. a reason why that phrase is still around. <laughs> um, another thing that I, I find really interesting about your book in particular is, um, is uh, how you bring creativity in into all of this. Um, and in that, the role of the imagination, which I, I'm just uh, uh, becoming a real advocate for, because I think imagination gets a really bad rap or it's misunderstood. Okay, we're back. We, we've been having some connection issues. And, you know, we could think, well, that's because you're in the rural desert and it's really windy today or it's very overcast where I am. Uh, but I wonder, I mean, did you praise Hermes before we began this conversation? Like, I did my little Ganesha prayer, but are we are we cool with Hermes today? We should be cool with Hermes. Yes, I did. I burned some frankincense. I've got some beautiful stones for Hermes out around my computer here and said a prayer. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. I think he's smiling on us now. It seems to be a little better. Yeah. Well, I think this is actually a great example of how to bring, uh, you know, hermeticism, alchemy, magic into everyday life. It's for me, it's like little things like what we're just talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, like, does Hermes is one of the scents that he he enjoys? Is it frankincense or is that something that uh, you just feel is right? Yeah, frankincense is said to be good for Hermes uh, or Mercury. Um, but frankincense is also kind of, you know, it's pretty good for all of the planetary energies, hmm. um, kind of an all around incense but um i always use it for her music good all purpose all purpose yeah <laughs> can't go wrong with it a frankincense no. um now what kind of stones does hermes enjoy oh well what i like um i have this is cavensite so oh, i think of, yeah a lot of blue stones that you would 
relate to like the throat chakra because mercury rules the throat chakra in the body. So communication and self-expression and um, the will and um, communication. And so I've got also a opalite, which mm. I, I like for Hermes and aquamarine. And I've got a nice big chunk of blue celestite. Mm. Um, yeah. And then some, let's see, what is this one? Laramar. So yeah. Another bluish stone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I go for the blue stones with mercury. Interesting. Well, that's great. Um, it reminds me of kind of, uh, Marsilio Ficino's natural magic, um, mm-hmm. working with color and scents and um, mm-hmm. stones and gems and things like that to mm-hmm. uh, to please the gods, right? So they smile upon us favorably. Isn't that kind of what it's about? Is finding out what the gods like and and exactly. bring some of that into our life. Yeah, yeah. They're said to like different things, you know. Like um, Venus might be more inclined to a rose incense. Um, whereas the sun, like a nice copal or amber, and then, you know, there's different stones. If you look at books of correspondence and things like that, there's different stones correlated with each of the planets as well. And I tend to go by color because of my polarity therapy training and thinking about the chakras. Um, so with Venus, I would go for like nice green or even pink stones for the heart chakra. Beautiful. (laughs) <laughs> this is my cave of the heart it's all green for people who are just listening and not watching yeah well and this is all kind of a pinkish hue so this is also a very venusian den here i've got peacock feathers everywhere oh nice yeah um well before we got cut off there i was uh bringing in the role of imagination mm-hmm. and i really appreciate uh that you gave it such prominence in your book because uh, I'm becoming more and more an advocate for restoring imagination to its uh, rightful place as a faculty that enables us to connect with and engage with what we might call the spiritual realm or the archetypal realm, that the imagination isn't something that we make up, that it's something that we enter into. Um, I like how Henri Corbin talked about it as a realm, the imaginal, the mm-hmm. mundus imaginalis, the imaginal world. So I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not imagining. Um, I'm entering into imagination. Um, mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit about that, the importance of imagination in doing this uh, hermetic work and also how that inspires and feeds your artistic work? Yeah. Well, imagination is, I think, probably the most important faculty that we have. Um, It's the image-making power of the mind that connects us with the image-making power of the creator and the creative energy of the universe itself. And it's through the imagination that we are able to connect with and communicate with the planetary energies, communicate with the cosmos. expand beyond the limitations of the body and to experience more beyond the limitations of our mortal frame. Um, And I love the Hermetica for that because they really emphasize the importance of the imagination. Um, And there's actually a passage, which I'll just read really quick because I wanted to do that. Um, And this is from the Corpus Hermeticum. 
Um, okay. And thus, think from thyself and bid thy soul go into any land, and there more quickly than thy bidding will it be, and bid it journey oceanwards, and there again immediately twill be, not as if passing on from place to place, but as if being there. And bid it also mount to heaven, and it will need no wings, nor will aught hinder it, nor fire of sun, nor ether, nor vortex swirl, nor bodies of the other stars, but cutting through them all, it will soar up to the last body of them all. And shouldst thou will to break through this as well, and contemplate what is beyond, if there be aught beyond the cosmos, it is permitted thee. And then it continues, and it states that unless you make yourself equal to God, you cannot understand God. Like is understood by like. So this idea of being able to put ourselves into higher realms through the imagination, to embody other forms through the imagination, to inhabit other places, all of that takes place through the imagination. And the idea that the imagination is just fantasy or just made up is so detrimental to the actual powers of the imagination. Um, mm -hmm. So that's a big part of my work is helping to restore that idea of the imaginal world as an actual place that we can um, do real work. Like it's a real um, part of the human being and it's valid and it's important. And all ideas, yeah. everything that we create, it all begins in the imagination. So you need to understand. Sorry, go I was ahead. just going to say, do you think it's too strong to say like, uh, maybe this is just me being polemic, but I think the imagination is actually not just important, but necessary to mm. inner development or spiritual developments, you know, however you think about it. Um, but to what most people are seeking these days, we have to get the imagination back up and running. Like, I think of it as a faculty that has become atrophied in so many people these days because it's not encouraged and it's not uh, held up as being something uh, valuable. Uh, it's uh, denigrated, right? And and we're inundated with images from advertisement, from news media, that there's often not a lot of room for the inner images to come forth. So I always recommend to people uh do a little bit of uh like a tapas like reduction in what you're consuming and what you're taking in which will allow for a little more space for those inner images to come forth and show themselves yeah uh, would you would you agree with that oh yeah definitely i think in general creating more spaciousness within the self is um it's a way for us to allow spirit to communicate with us and that can be in the form of words um, or images or divine forms um, or feelings but so long as we're filled up with all of the social media and advertising and news and all of the stuff that we're constantly bombarded with it's difficult for that to find a place to enter so Some, sometimes you gotta go to the desert for a while <laughs> Right. Like yeah. maybe literally, but also metaphorically too. Yeah. Yeah. I think the idea of fasting is important, you know, and not just from food or substances, but from 
media, you know, and even from people or socializing and taking space to connect with the self and with, with the higher aspects of self. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I always, I get a little, um, ooh, higher self. I always think like deeper self, deeper self, higher self. I know yeah. there's no difference really, yeah. but I just think there's such a tendency, uh, for people to only look toward transcendence. And I know that's not what you, um, what you well, recommend. I think if we're talking about, um, the heavens above or the higher self, we're also talking about the heavens within or the deeper self that, um, ascending journey is also a, a journey inward, you know? And so I, I see those as being the same direction essentially. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the great things about that, um, that hermetic dictum of as above, so below, as within, so without, yeah. is that it helps us keep that in mind, right? Mm -hmm. right? Um, one thing that struck me, I mean, that was a great passage that you read, by the way. It's a, it's an incredible, like, encouragement and instruction in working with the imagination. It sounds actually like it could be modern. Um, <laughs> it resonates. The one part of it that I wonder about um, is the you must be like God because like understands like mm -hmm. uh, that could easily lead to some inflation I'd say oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how do we um how do we like try to embody these god-sized energies without identifying with them completely or or letting them completely take us over like so any kind of words of wisdom that you've discovered how to guard against inflation and all of that well i always think about um i think it's icarus or phaethon or maybe both of them but the need to be able to fly between the earth and the heavens you know and to not fall into the depths of the unconscious and also not to fly too close to the sun where, you know, our wings are going to melt and we're going to fall into the water anyway and die. So to be able to, um, maintain that, um, that middle path, if you will, um, and to stay balanced between these energies of inflation and, um, and deflation. Yeah. And that's the way I put it too is deflation is the opposite end of inflation and like you're not yeah. going to get very far on flat tires so yeah. you need a little pumping up to get going but not so much that you uh you burst your tires yeah exactly because if you're you know in a very deflated state you need some inflation you need to remember your divine you're stuck yeah. yeah yeah um but then if you get a little too inflated you need to be humbled and remember that you are just a mortal as well you know um but i think that's the quintessential issue of being a human being is reconciling the fact that we are mortal we're in a mortal body and yet we are immortal in our essence in our soul and to be able to identify with that immortal aspect but to integrate that into our mortality and to um not be afraid of death um and also not you know get so um you know, yeah. inflated on our divine essence and immortality that we think we're indestructible or that we have power over other people or, you know, um, yeah. or, it's, or it becomes so, so, 
Yeah, or it becomes so kind of uh, dissociated from the the human side of you because it's you know it's so messy and mucky and blah, blah, blah. so I understand the yeah. urge for transcendence that's for sure, but um, what can sometimes happen is people tend to then neglect um, the material aspects of life, so body and relationships and work and things like that, and they're yeah. just kind of like isolated, meditating all day or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think balance again is the key. Finding that balance, and know, it's such a it's such a cliche, right? Balance, but it really does come down to that. Yeah, and I mean, if we're thinking about the magician and the tarot, right? He's got the lemniscate on his hat, the symbol for infinity, and so we've got that energy that's in constant flow. But then there's that center point in the middle, and that's the power of the magician is that they're able to hold that center point, and so. Sometimes they understand they need to ebb and sometimes they need to flow. Sometimes they need to expand, sometimes it contract, but recognizing the signs for when those shifts are happening and being able to move with them while maintaining equilibrium. And I think that's, Mm. that's the true power of the magician. And the same is found in hermeticism. You know, we talk about, or they talk about in the hermetica de-energizing the seven spheres. And so if we think of the energy body and the seven chakras in the energy body and the Kundalini and the Ida or um, feminine passive yin kind of energy balancing with the yang pingala energy um, envisioned as two serpents that interweave up the spinal canal. Um, Finding the balance between those um, expansive and contractive energies and being able to inhabit that middle place, which you know, in that esoteric anatomy of the body, that would be the central channel, the sushumna, um, that goes up the spinal canal and that hollow channel in the center, you know? So we're not being pulled by these continual states of attraction and repulsion, but finding the balance between the two or, you know, understanding the necessity of those movements in either direction and, um, doing it in a more conscious way with more intentionality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's why I, I have a little bit of a problem with the word balance being used so much is because it, um, I think it can lead to this aspiration to always be in that central point. Right. But like you said, there's value in letting yourself get overly inflated, allowing yourself to become deflated at times or being more active, uh, and being more passive, like uh, in some yoga practices, it's all about working with those energies as it's appropriate. Yeah. So like after you eat, activating the the pingala nadi to mm-hmm. generate more heat to help along with the digestion. And when it's time to chill out and go to sleep, you work to activate the ida or the feminine channel and help to bring more um, placidity to the mind and uh and that's that's not really balanced because that's like extremes and in, in along the mm-hmm. spectrum you could say right but there it's like a balanced view of the overall system maybe yeah and it's doing it in a conscious way you know there's yeah. intentionality there and awareness of what needs to be adjusted one way or the other and that's mm. different than like um you know working yourself until you're exhausted and then going into a yin state because you just don't have any more energy, you know, yeah. like 
ideally you would, you know, work because there's energy there and then recognize when you're starting to lose energy and then go back into a more restful state to recuperate, you know, and, um, it's, I think it's mostly about awareness Mm -hmm. and presence, you know, to what's actually needing to needing to be worked with or adjusted or yeah. Yeah. I like that, uh, kind of position a little more than, um, the idea of the magician being the manipulator of natural elements and things like that feels a little bit uh influenced by a patriarchy or something um i like to see it more as like if i have that knowledge and the technique i can support the natural flow of life like more of a maybe taoist approach or something you know mm-hmm. where i'm like i'm just about supporting life like I, I can't claim to ever know as much as nature on how all this should work to be you know healthy and and yeah. Uh, growing and balanced or whatever. <laughs> but if I can recognize um how these elements work within me, then I can I can do something to support them to be in their healthiest, uh, most optimal state of of flow in whatever direction is needed. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that makes me um think about the higher call of the magician, which is more than just affecting change in the material world, you know, and doing a spell to change something about your reality, or it's about getting clear within your own energetic body and understanding those elemental relationships, understanding the relationships of the planets um, within you and being able to essentially align your energy in such a way that you're functioning through divine will you know you've realized your personal will like but you've also overcome that and you're sort of just in this place of continual flow with the divine will and allowing that to guide your actions um so you're not working against anything you're sort of um in harmony with nature and in harmony with the spheres and Mm -hmm that's a really magical place to be if you can get there. Um, but sometimes it takes, you know, sort of learning through these, um, lower forms of magic, as I would call them, like Goisha or whatever, where you're like, you know, trying to affect change in the material world and you experience, experience success with that to a certain degree. And then you can kind of graduate mm-hmm. to a more, um, effortless magical state yeah i can see parallels there with my yoga practice too how it's uh evolved over the years um definitely in the beginning it was about manipulating um the physical realm and maybe you know the pranic realm but initially it was just like getting my body back in a more natural state and so having these really uh strenuous practices uh kind of help work out all of the tension and holding patterns that had been in my body and once i got through that i was able to work in the more subtle realms and eventually it led me to this place of just being like a servant to the natural forces within and without and it sounds like that's what you're talking about with the higher calling of the magician yeah like mm-hmm. i see that as being in in service to life yeah yeah exactly yeah, it's beyond the personal ego. So, mm-hmm. you know, and there's 
an alchemy that comes with that too, because whatever the circumstances of your life are, you understand um, the necessity of those circumstances and you can see the gold within any situation and how that's there to help you. And that's not a, you know, a call for apathy and, you know, just to let things happen and not to feel like you can change them, but just a certain level of acceptance of, of the flow of life and how that's manifesting for you. Yeah. It's an important thing to remember that uh, acceptance does not equal passivity. Like just because we can't necessarily change some things that are happening in life doesn't mean that we should just be passive observers to it all, but um, maybe look for those opportunities to, to do something that helps bring us back into harmony. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But also I think um, it's a process to get to that point. It's a process of, purification, which is really important in alchemy as well, but purification on an inner level of our emotional world, of our intellect, of the way that we think about things, the way that we talk about things, because speech and thought are very, very crucial in how things come to be in the universe, you know, and the more that we can sort of refine our thought processes and the way that we talk about ourselves and what's possible for ourselves and for others and for the world, um, the more likely it is that we're going to be speaking words of power that are actually like helping to contribute to positive outcomes and manifestations. And, Mm. you know, I've experienced this time and time again in my life and just the power of thinking clearly, you know, and in a way that's aligned with the divine and not tied up in these sort of personal egoic um, trips that we go on, you know, and loops that we get stuck in and sort of toxic or limiting belief patterns. Yeah. And this isn't, um, this isn't like woo-woo thinking either, like manifestation talk, like it is very practical for like a specific example that, uh, came to me at some point along the way. Um, I remember thinking one day that, uh, oh, I've got to go teach a yoga class at four o'clock. So I can't do this other thing because I've got to teach a yoga class. And I realized like, no, I don't have to go teach the yoga class. I want to teach a yoga class. That's why I, you know, gave up my old career in pursuit of this other thing. So I started just to change the way I, I I put it to myself and to others. I would say, no, I get to go teach a yoga class at four, so I can't do this other thing. And I tell you, it just completely changed my whole attitude when it was time to get up and go do the thing. Uh, and that's a very small, simple thing. But if, when we start paying attention, we find that uh, language does cast a spell and unless we become conscious of how language is shaping our perception of the world, um, we're still under the spell. And so it's a really simple way to start uh, breaking the spell. And it's easier with another person. It's, It's a big part of the work I do is just catching these little things that people say over and over that I feel are tied to some kind of limiting belief or perception. Um, and then once we call it out, they go, wait, that's not actually what I think, but it's just something I say. Yeah. Yeah. It's like magic 101, I think, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. And I've had the benefit of people calling me out on things like that. And I think, yeah, relationship is great. If you have someone that's really listening and looking out for your best interest and wanting to help you expand can be very helpful. Yeah. Well, I'm just being aware of the time and, um, these are huge topics. Uh, and what an accomplishment to have, uh, put together the history of the hermetic tradition and then how it's become applied practically for you. I mean, I know it, it became two books, mm-hmm. but still it's incredible. So I want to recommend that if people want uh, more foundation in everything that we've been talking about, the first book I think is an excellent resource for that. And I like that it's leading toward the second book, which I think is more about uh, applying these philosophies and ideas to your life and particularly uh, your artistic work, creative work. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. So the first book is definitely laying the foundation and, but it's much more than that, you know, with the journey through the seven spheres, it goes pretty deep into understanding those planetary energies. And the second book is more focused on art and creativity um, as it relates to the four stages of the great work of alchemy and how we can understand those four stages as we're going through our creative process but also spiritually and how these things affect us um, on different levels of our being. So I think, you know, the second book is definitely aimed towards um, creativity and imagination and the creation of art or music or um, anything like that. But it's also kind of a spiritual approach to the alchemical work. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, just to living your life in a creative way in general, because mm. the human being, just by um, being a human being, we're all creators and we're all creating every day, whether we are aware of it or not. And it's just a way of understanding how these processes unfold and going a little deeper with it. Mm. That's great. I look forward to the second book as well. Um, and I think, you know, uh this hermetic view gives people i think what a lot of people are seeking which is some way to uh some kind of model or a cosmology to understand the world uh our place in it uh, our role in it um in the practices that you offer give us something to do to engage with the wider world including the spiritual realm and the inner realm, uh, and, and that's fantastic. And it's like, it's kind of nice that it does, I mean, everything comes from Egypt, we, we know that, but it does come out of a kind of Western tradition. And so Western people have become um, disillusioned with Judeo-Christian religion or whatever they come from, uh, can find something really useful in a lot of ways in the hermetic tradition, which I think is fantastic. It's answering a real need in the culture right now. Most definitely. Yeah. And like I said before, I see so much receptivity to it that I think this really is a time for Hermes to come into the mainstream and for, you know, 
people that are feeling disillusioned with Western religion and um, the patriarchy and all of that, I think it's an alternative model to view the cosmos and our place in it and our relationship to not only the divine, but also to nature and to each other and the interconnectivity of all things. And I just, with everything that's going on in the world, we are, you know, on the one hand, more connected than we've ever been. And yet there's so much disparity and so much um, polarization and, um, you know, everybody's kind of in their little thought bubbles. So the more we can emphasize this interconnectivity on a spiritual and fundamental level, um, I think the more hope there is for us to kind of work through some of the issues that we're facing as a species. Yeah. And there's something about that. I mean, it's because we've become like a global culture. Uh, so many people are disillusioned with the religious beliefs that, um, you know, maybe they inherited or not, uh, but we're lacking like a unifying story. And that's part of the thing I think we're navigating right now. And what's nice about um, hermeticism, including like astrology, alchemy, and magic is that uh, it's a kind of non-dogmatic unifying story uh, that even if people are religious believers, perhaps there's still something in that uh, that they can relate to, you know, that um, can help bring us together in a way Yeah, that is non-dogmatic um, because it's so easy to confirm through observation. Like it doesn't really require belief like we we're talking about as above, so below, as within, without. Well, yeah, duh. It's like that book title, you know, it's a metaphor, stupid. It's like, <laughs> it's all connected, stupid. Like, let's get on with it. Let's all start being more conscious, creative magicians in yeah. our lives. And maybe, you know, the world won't end in uh, 30 years or whatever they're predicting now. Yeah. Well, thanks for your work. I really appreciate it, Seven. And uh, maybe I can have you back on when the new book comes out in july oh that would be great i would love that yeah cool so um just if you could just tell people where you like to send them to find out more website instagram mm -hmm. whatever uh well definitely my website um that's just my name marlena7bremner.com and maybe you can have a link in the show notes to that and i'm on social media on instagram and facebook and twitter um if you just type in Marlena Seven Bremner, you'll find me. Um, but yeah, the website's a great place to learn more about the books and find out where you can order them and to look at my art and get in touch if you want to. And social media is kind of, um, Instagram is where I tend to post more often. And, yeah. Well, and so appropriate being a visual artist. I mean, that's what Instagram was originally intended for. And so it's, it's <laughs> nice to have beautiful art in my feed um are you going to be offering any courses around uh creative alchemy and that kind of thing i am yeah they're in the works right now they're not quite ready but um i will be posting about those on my website and i'll make posts about those on social media as well when they're up and running great yeah because i can imagine you're probably getting a lot of requests from people like could you do a course on this and help me like reignite my creativity and yeah that's yeah. good to hear yeah Okay, well, best of luck, and maybe we'll talk a little down the road. Great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It was a pleasure. Thanks for coming. 
Take yeah. care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider subscribing to the podcast on your favorite app, share it with a friend, or leave us a review. If you're interested in joining the conversation, head on over to the Medicine Path Online Community and School of Soul Studies at patreon.com forward slash medicine path. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face and the rains fall soft upon your fields. Until we meet again on the Medicine Path.